This is the word of the Lord. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. But as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith, if service, in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for your holy word that is our food. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so we pray that uh, you would open our, our hearts uh, and that we would be spiritually fed now as we uh, give ourselves and sit under your word, which is good and true and beautiful. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we are in our final sermon in a four-week sermon series on the topic of generosity, and this is a part of a, a series that we call Feasts every year. And every year we have a sermon series during the spring that culminates in this feast celebration that we're going to have next week. It's happening next Sunday on June 4th, and I'm, I really hope that you all come out for it, even if you're new or visiting our church. And uh, we've been talking the last few weeks about being a generous community. We started the first Sunday talking about God's generosity. That's the place to start. It's God's generosity to us. And then the last couple of weeks, we've talked about our lives being generous. We've looked at our time, being generous with our time, and being uh, generous with our money. And today, we're talking about being generous with our talents, with our skills, the things that we are good at. And I'll tell you, of the three of those, the time, talent, and treasure, this is maybe the one that I'm the most excited uh, about. And especially over the past couple of years, I feel like the Lord has opened my eyes more and more to the wealth of talents and gifts that God has given to this uh, community. And I'll give you an example. A couple of years ago, our church hired a, a consultant to come help us as a church to think about organizational health. And uh, one of the things that the consultant had recommended was that we have a, a personnel committee. And it was a committee of people that could kind of help me, I'm a senior pastor, to, uh, to care for our staff and make sure that, you know, we have HR and we make, there's a lot of decisions about, about hiring and, and, you know, employment uh, policies and things like that. And all of that that's been thought through well really helps people who work here be cared for. And so uh, we started this personnel committee and three members of our church joined. You might know, might, may or may not know these men, uh, Rick Gray, Darian Allen, and Art Lim. And um, all three of them have decades 
of management experience in the business world, uh, either owning businesses or, or uh, leading other people, and tremendously helpful uh, skills that I is not my background, and um, and many of them have have been here for years, and we, those were gifts that were being unutilized. And I think the reason for that is because often when we think about the church, we're like, well, what kind of gifts do you need to serve in the church? Well, you're, you're good at teaching Bible studies or you play music. Otherwise, you can help with the children or, or greet people on Sunday morning. And the fact is that an organization like a church requires pretty much all the gifts. We are a small city. We talked about that a few weeks ago, that, that the church is the city of God. And all the gifts that you need in a city, you need in an organization like a church. And so um, it turns out as they come together and, and work on the personnel committee, uh, I think it's a blessing to them because they're using skills that they're good at. They get to know one another better and, uh, and it's a joy to them. And um, this church is filled with people with skills. And we are not perfect as a church at knowing people's gifts and matching them up with ways to use them, but um, I hope that this is a way that we can grow in that area. And how does that happen? Well, I think one part is that a church has to have structures in order for a person to use their gifts. And, and making a structure where there's a role, you might have something you're good at and say, when the church creates a role, it empowers a person to say, we recognize those gifts, we want to get behind you and give you what you need to use those gifts. We want to put a support structure around you so, you know, it's not too big of a job and it doesn't wear you out. You know, this is a church where everyone's volunteering to make this community happen. And so that's one side on our part to create that structure, that support structure. But it's also uh, uh, on your side, um, on your end is to say the things that I'm good at. I want them to be available and utilized for building up the body of Christ, the city of God. And so uh, that's what we're talking about today. And this, this passage from Romans 12 is just perfect for that. And uh, looking at these verses, I want to make just three points for us this morning. And this is what they are. Is that your best gift is you. Second, your best gift is a humble you. And third, your best gift is a humble you using your talents. Your best gift is you. Your best gift is a humble you. And third, your best gift is a humble you using your talents. And three points on being generous with your talents this morning and uh, valuable insights from Romans chapter 12. So first point this morning, your best gift is you. Now, the book of Romans is uh, the fullest explanation of the gospel in the New Testament. It's an absolute masterpiece. It's the Apostle Paul's magnum opus. And uh, the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans are basically explaining the gospel and its implications, what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And so after 11 chapters, the Apostle Paul finally turns to talk about how do we then respond to the gospel, respond to everything that Jesus has done for us. And you see that there in verse 1 where it says, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God. And that therefore is pointing back and saying, well, therefore, in light of everything I've said, in light of the first 11 chapters... I want uh, uh, that tell of God's mercies. This is how I want you to respond. 
And this is always the logic of the Bible, that God loves us first, and then we love him as a response. There's the indicative, what God has done for us, that always comes before the imperative, which is what God commands of us. He loves us first, and then we love in response. Well, what does Paul say we should do in light of God's mercies to us in Jesus? What does he say we should do? Well, verse 1 again. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Romans says your most important gift to God in response to the gospel is to take your body, your whole person, and present your body to the Lord. Actually, that's what we're doing right now in worship. You have all brought your bodies here to this place to present them to your Savior. And so your best gift to God for his grace is you. And you might hear that and think, Sounds about right. I'm, I'm pretty awesome. That's a pretty great gift. I can see how that's my best, best thing I could give is me. Well, not so fast, because Paul actually makes a qualification. He says, verse, the second part of verse 1, he says, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable. To be holy means that your life is devoted to God, and to be acceptable means that your character has begun to have the character of Christ, the fruit of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. And so Paul is saying, not that your best gift is you, but your best gift is you sanctified. And, uh, and this is uh, one of the ways that the church is different from the world. Often in the world, you know, maybe in the business world, we'll say, well, your most important gift is your skills, what you're good at, what you can produce. Now, your character, as long as it doesn't affect your work, we don't really care what you do on your, in your private time or, or who you are as a person, that's your business. Or even what you believe. We don't really care about that, that's your business. What we care about is can you do the job and get it done and, and make us a profit. If you can do that, that's fine. Well, the church is just the opposite. If someone wants to serve in the church or to lead in the church, the most important thing is not what they can get done or do. But you can see the order of priorities in this passage. The first priority is character. Verse 1 says that we should be holy and acceptable to God. Then the second priority is our theology. Do we believe what God's word says? Have we learned what God's word says? You see that there in verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. And the renewed mind believes God's word and obeys it. And so only after a person's character and theology are sound are they then fit to be used by God. And so then the third priority is then the skills. So it goes... The ordering is character, then theology, and then skills. And the skills are what we talk about in the rest of the passage. What this means is you might be a really gifted person, but if Christ-like character has not come to shape your talents, then the talents are not useful to the king. Actually, I, I remember there was a person in our church many years ago. He came to the church, very talented man, very uh, tons of gifts, very bright. But there were character issues. Frankly, had a very high view of himself. And so he got frustrated because there wasn't getting into leadership roles that he thought he should be in. And eventually he left because he was frustrated by that. 
And uh, the Sermon on the Mount, which is probably Jesus' most important description of the kind of character he expects in the church, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells a parable about a man building a house. And the house is the church. The house in the Bible is always God's house. And so it's a leader in the church who's building the church, and he says, you can build the church either on sand or on the rock. And if you build it on the sand, when the storm comes, the house is going to fall down. But if you build it on the rock, the house is going to withstand all kinds of storms. And Jesus says, the rock is those who hear my words and do them. It's the ethic of the Sermon on the Mount. And so the foundation for the using of gifts in the church has to be to prioritize our character. So first, your best gift to this community is yourself, but yourself sanctified. And the reason this is so important is because you will never do your talents or your skills by yourself. In the church, you have to use your talents in obedience to God and with other people. You have to be on teams. You have to have partnerships. You know, we are a body who works together. Character is what enables you to do this with others. And this passage says there is one character trait that is most important in this regard. And that's uh, our second point. So first, your best gift is you. But second, your best gift is a humble you. Your best gift is a humble you. This passage says the foremost character quality that makes you useful for the king, for the kingdom, is humility. And when you have a renewed mind, one of the things that you begin to assess more accurately is yourself. Not just the world around you, not just other people, but you begin to have an accurate assessment of yourself. And you see that there in verse 3, where it says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. The Apostle Paul points out, that we all have a tendency to think about ourselves. You know, we all are self-conscious. We're always kind of thinking about what we're doing and how we're doing things. And there is a temptation to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. And this is especially a temptation in our culture. You know, in the, in the 80s and the 90s, there was a lot of talk of the, having a high self-esteem, which turns out a lot of, uh, as people have actually studied self-esteem, it turns out that having a high self-esteem is not actually a good indicator of emotional and relational health. And a more contemporary version of that, that uh, we constantly expect others to be affirming our uniqueness, that we are very special and we want other people to recognize how special we are. And we can bring that kind of thinking into the church and think, you know, I'm not being utilized to my full potential. And Jesus has a parable about this. And uh, he says that when you go to a banquet, uh, don't take the most honored seat in the banquet and then be told by the host, you uh, no, 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 you got to give that place to another. He says, when you go, you choose the lowest seat and let the host then say, who the host is the king, say, Come up, to, come up and take a higher seat. And the, the summary that Jesus gives of that parable, he says, he who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And this principle, the Apostle Paul is very stern on this. In this look at how he, the language he uses, verse 3. By the grace given to me, I say to everyone, this is the principle, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. 
And now he doesn't say, actually in this verse, well, you should have a very low view of yourself. It's interesting. He, you know, you're not supposed to beat yourself up and say, I'm good for nothing. I don't have any gifts. That's not actually a heart of gratitude that understands. He says in this passage to have a sober assessment of yourself. Be sober-minded. And be like, you know, I have strengths, I have weaknesses, I have flaws, I have some good things I'm good at, and that's what's being sober-minded. Don't over-inflate, but have a sober judgment. So what does it mean to be sober-minded or humble about our talents? Well, two things to point out from this passage, okay? First, it means I can't do everything. Being sober-minded means recognizing I can't do everything. You see that there in verse 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. We are a body, and we don't all have the same function. We don't all have the same gifts. You're good at things I'm not good at. I have things I'm good at that, that you're not good at. Part of humility is accepting these are the gifts that God's given me. And I look at other people's gifts, and I might say, oh, I wish I had those gifts. Those weren't the gifts that were given to me by the king. I have the gifts that he Gave to me, and I have to be content with the gifts that are mine and the talents that are mine. And maybe that's a question for you to ponder. What are the gifts that I look at in others and wish they were mine? And what are your gifts that you need to accept and say, these are the gifts that have been given to me by the king, and I'm grateful for those, and I'm content with those as well. And I'll tell you, uh, one of the ways I personally learned about this over the last couple of years, there's a, there's a man named uh, Pat Lencioni who helps uh, businesses have healthy work environments. And he's a Christian. He's very well respected in the business world. And I, I listened to his podcast called At the Table. It's very good. It's like 25 minutes, gets to the point. And uh, he regularly in this podcast speaks about how he's a follower of Jesus and how following Jesus impacts how he helps businesses you know, work well together. Uh, but he's developed a tool, it's called the Working Genius, and some of you have probably had me talk to you about the Working Genius, I talk about it all the time, but it's, it's kind of a personality test, except he calls it a productivity test, and, you know, personality tests are things like Myers-Briggs or the Enneagram, some of you use those, but this, pers- this test is about the kind of work that you do on a team. You play a role when you're on a team. And understanding there's, he says, you have genius, two geniuses, and you have frustrations as well. Things that not only you tend to not be good at, but things that really frustrate you when you have to do them. They kind of wear you out and burn you out when you have to do that kind of work. And, uh, and there's, six, there's six of these geniuses. There's wonder, which, you know, is the person who comes up with new ideas. There's invention, the person who creates a strategy of how to do the new idea. There's discernment, the person who can see the problems with the idea. There's galvanizing, the people who can, like, get other people excited about, uh, about the idea. There's enablement, some people who say, you know, I'm here to help whatever you need me to do. I'm here to help make the idea happen. And then there's tenacity, the person who says, all right, we got to see this to completion and make sure it's done well. And you need all six of these. And all of us only have two of them, he says. And so that means uh, the sooner we realize I can't do everything, I don't have all the gifts, the better. Humility says I can't do everything. But there's another side to that coin. When we realize I can't do everything, it also means, second, that I need other people. 
to serve God, I need other people and to labor alongside them. You see that in verse 5. It says, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. We are members one of another, which means you cannot serve Jesus Christ by yourself. It's not an option. You can't use your gifts by yourself. And that's why character that we talked about earlier is so important because uh, you don't have all the gifts. You're going to have to work with other people, which means you have to have the character to be able to listen to other people's insights. Submit to their strengths. They're good at that. I should probably submit to them. Uh, Admit when you are wrong. What all this means is that Jesus wants us to use our service to him as a means of bringing us into relationship with other people. That's one of the biggest things. He has structured this so that our service will result in relationships with people. He says, I have a task building the kingdom of God, and you're all a part of it. And since you can't do it on your own, you're going to have to be in deep partnership with other people. And why does God want us to be in relationship while we're doing his work? To know each other better and to come to love one another and appreciate one another? It's because that's the way God himself is. The one God exists in three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if you look at all the works of God in creation and redemption and final judgment and in the renewal of all things, who's the one who does it? Is it the Father, the Son, or the, or the Holy Spirit? Well, in creation, it was the Father who created all things through his word, who is his Son, and the Spirit was hovering over the face of the deep. And so you say, oh, it was the, a cooperative work of the triune God. They, that's how they do their work, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so when the triune God makes a church, we're going to be the same way and we begin to mirror our God in our cooperative work. So what that means is your best gift is you, but not just you, a humble you, who knows that you can't do everything and therefore you need other people And by doing God's work, he wants you to build close relationships with others in the process. And I think buried in this passage is really a secret about life. If you want to have community, the secret is to serve. Give your life away. That's what this passage says. Offer yourselves as living sacrifices. If you want to have community, if you feel like you don't have community, that could be a question to ask is uh, where, where am I serving? Where are there opportunities to build relationships as I serve with others? So that's our final point. So your best gift is you. Your best gift is a humble you. Lastly, your best gift is a humble you using your talents. And we, uh, we come uh, to really the main instructions of this sermon. Uh, hear that command in verse, verse 6. Verse 6 says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Important charge, let us use them. We are all commanded here to use our varying gifts for the building up of the body of Christ. And you might wonder, okay, I'd love to use my gifts. How do I do that? Well, one thing that might be helpful to know just about our uh, church and how that works. How does ministry happen here at Christ Church? Well, we often think that there's two kinds of ministries. There's the formal ministries and there's the informal ministry. 
And formal ministries are things that our elders and our deacons have said, this is a ministry that we're going to build a structure for. This is a ministry that's going to have a budget line. We're going to announce it on Sunday morning. We're going to have staff assigned to it to provide the support structure. And that's our job to create ministries where you can come into a formal role within the church and say, I want to serve. But that's, and that's a great way to use your gifts. And I hope we continue to get better and better at doing that. There's also informal ministries. That could be ways where you come here and you hear God's word and you get equipped. It could be informal in the sense that, you know, we don't have a ministry for it. Let's say you're a hospitable person and you like to open your home. And you could say, well, there's no um, hospitality, you know, where people come over formal ministry. But I just do that. And you say, that's the thing I do in this church. I mean, what a blessing and a gift to this community. Or maybe your gift is evangelism. And you, you say, I love meeting people who don't know Christ. I'm good at getting to talk to them and hear about their life and share my faith with them. And I love reading a book with them or going to get coffee with them or inviting them to church. And we don't have a formal ministry for that, but that's really what I love to do. It's an important part of this ministry. Or there might be some ministry that's not in this church somewhere out in the community where you say, well, I get equipped here and then I use my gifts out in the community. Both the formal and the informal ways of using our gifts, the Holy Spirit is using here at Christ Church. And Jesus is working through both the formal and the informal. Now, this passage mentions a list of specific gifts. And you, you see that there. Uh, it starts in the second part of verse 6. It says, If prophecy in proportion to your faith... Let me just pause there. I know some of you might wonder if we as a church believe that people still have the gift of prophecy... And uh, we consider that a prophecy was a gift that was given by God to establish a church in the, in the first century. In the book of uh, Ephesians, it says that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. So the apostles and prophets were in the first century writing the scriptures that are now given to us. But we do believe that people in the church have corollary gifts to prophets. So, for example, you know, preachers are speaking God's word. Right now, I'm telling you God's word from Romans. And so that's a kind of a prophetic role. And, uh, and the Holy Spirit is, is speaks through his word to his people. And then there are some people also in the church who have a gift where, you know, they're talking with someone and they just, the spirit tends to give them the gift to know what scriptures need to be applied into a person's life at the right time. And maybe you've met people like that who just know how to speak deeply into your life or into your heart, and it's kind of a prophetic gift. We wouldn't say that they're a prophet, that they're saying, thus says the Lord, but it's kind of a corollary. It's the way that the Holy Spirit brings his word into our lives. And so then Paul goes on. He says, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving. I love how those things go together. You know, some of you might say, I would never want to teach. I, that's just not my gift. But I love serving people. I love using my hands. I love making them a meal. I love doing things and, and helping the ministry go forward. And the scriptures honor both of those roles, right? So there's prophecy, there's service. It says the one who teaches and is teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And you see, these gifts are all so very different. And in fact, these are not the only gifts in the New Testament. There are several other lists in the New Testament. I think if you count up all the gifts from all of them, there's like 20, 22 total. And so what that probably means is that those aren't even the extent of the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to God's people. There's all kinds of gifts that we have 
And Paul says, let us use them. And why is that? What is our hope as we get to use our gifts? Well, if you look at that list of gifts, what does it sound like it's describing? Right? The first one is prophecy. Who's the greatest and final prophet? Or it, the next one is service. Who's the one who said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many? Or the next one's a teacher. Who's the great teacher who taught in parables and taught about the kingdom of God? Or who's the one who exhorted people to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love one another as themselves? Who's the one who's generous, right? Who gives gifts of of time, treasure, and talent and even life itself to people? Who's the generous one who gave his own life for others? Who's the one who leads, who is the head of the church, who is leading all of us? Who cheerfully does acts of mercy for the outsider and the broken and the poor and welcomes them into his kingdom? These gifts are Jesus himself. He has poured himself into this community and none of us alone is Christ. But we are all a part of the body of Christ and together we are the body of Christ his presence on earth as he is in heaven. And so every Sunday as we gather here, we present our bodies to Jesus as living sacrifices, asking him to make us holy and acceptable to God, that my best gift would not be just me, but a humble me, knowing that I can't do everything and that I need other people. So let us use our gifts, not so that people will know how great we are, but so that people will come to know how great Jesus is. He is the great giver of gifts, but even more, he is God's greatest gift to us. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for the great gift of the gospel, the person of Christ, so rich and abundant in wisdom and power, And how he has sent his spirit among us. And as the great king who has ascended into heaven, he's given gifts to his people. That now we might be able to serve you. And Lord, I thank you for the many talents that for years have been forming in in each individual in this community. And we pray that you would show us as a community how to work together to use our gifts for your glory. That we might... uh, not think of ourselves more highly than we ought, but with sober minds, we would help one another to see our gifts, to name them for each other, encourage one another, to form teams and to form ministries um, that your kingdom might come here in Bellingham. We pray this in Jesus' name.